Week four, gateway worship. If you all have to excuse me, I got a little bit of a cough this week. I'm trying to get over, so if it gets annoying, just bear with me. Gateway worship. Last week, we discovered that God came to this place in Exodus where he was consecrating the priests and the tabernacle so that God would dwell among the people. And we focused on that because there was so many things going on in the time, that in the middle of the, the time when Moses was up on the mountain, the people built a, a golden calf. They were looking at different things to worship because they were looking for their leader. And, and when it came down to it, God wanted the people to, to focus on him and nothing else. And God wanted one thing. He didn't just want to do things for the people. He wanted to dwell among the people. So he says, I'm going to consecrate the priest. I'm going to consecrate the tabernacle so that I can dwell with you. Because because I want to dwell with my people. I love that we worship a God that doesn't want to be distant. He wants to dwell among us. He wants to be with us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to go through us with everything. And yet so many times we find ourselves in these predicaments where we're trying to move away from God or get behind God or get in front of God. And God says, all I want you to do is seek me because I want to dwell with you. So I'm going to consecrate this thing so that I can be with you. We talked about in this design for the tabernacle, that the tabernacle that was being built at the time, it was a portable tent because they were wandering around the wilderness, that this tabernacle, this, this temple, was in the middle of the camp. That all the tribes, there was three tribes on the north, the south, the east, and the west. The 12 tribes were centered around the camp. And that it was a symbolic representation that everyone, everything was centered around this tabernacle that was designed to host the presence of God. And we even alluded that to what Jesus says for us in John chapter 1, verse 14, if you want to look. It says, the word became human, made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And if you remember what we talked about, that phrase up there, made his home among us, if you look in the original ancient Greek and Hebrew text, it actually meant to make camp, to pitch a tent, that just as in the tabernacle of Moses, they pitched a tent, they made camp in the middle of everything so that everything would be centered around the presence of God. God says, my son has come and has put, he has pitched his tent. He, he has camped in the middle of your stuff so that you could fix your eyes on Jesus and center everything around him. He is the example. He is what I want you to be. Center yourselves around him. Amen. So tonight... In looking at the fact that there is important, importance for design, we're going to start talking about the actual tabernacle. At the end of the book of Exodus, once construction had been completed, we see in Exodus chapter 40, verse 38. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day. And at night, fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. The presence of God had become visible to the people in two ways. A cloud by day and a fire by night. I think that's so awesome that they got to this place where they could see the tangible presence of God. 
Now, we're going to find out they, did, they couldn't get too close to it. We're going to go into some, some details tonight. But they saw the presence. They saw the Lord. They saw that he was with them. I think today we, we have ways to see that God is with us. We see that God is with us when he takes care and, and heals people. And we, we see that God is with us when he makes provision for things in our life. We see that God is with us when we see people who've gone from nothing and they are soaring more than they could have ever thought simply because they said, Jesus, here I am, take my life and have your way. We see the presence of God. They saw the presence of God in a different way because they had not come to the place where Jesus had paid for their sins. They had not come to a place where they could be the temple of the Holy Spirit. So they had to see the presence of God in a different way. And the way they saw it, they saw the cloud by day and the fire by night. I would love to get to a place where we could see the presence of God. Wouldn't that be incredible? Well, let's look at why they saw this presence. In a few verses before, in verse 34 and 35, it says this. Then the cloud covered their tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So we're, we're at the place in Exodus 40, after 40 chapters in Exodus, that the, 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 the presence of God was finally filling the place. They were toiling. They were, you know, we think mobile churches and, and, and set up churches is a new thing. But they were setting up church back in the days of Moses for a long time before we ever started renting out YMCA's, amen. It's not an original idea. But they were, they, were, they were doing all this stuff. They were doing and doing and doing. You ever feel like you just you, you do and you do and do and you're kind of like, when are we going to see some, some fruit of our doing? Well, that's where they're at. They're doing, they're doing, they're doing. And all of a sudden the presence fills. Look at verse 35. Moses could no longer even enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Well, Kyle, why are you bringing this up? At this point, if you read the entire chapter of Exodus 40 and if you read the entire book, the reason that the presence of the Lord was filling the tabernacle wasn't because God finally decided that he wanted to dwell. God wanted to be with the people the entire time. He wanted to be among them and in their midst. But in order for him to get what he wanted, he had to follow his own government system. And God's government system starts in Genesis when he says, I'm making man and I'm going to give you the authority to run this earth. So God says, in order for me to get in the earth, the thing that I created to govern it has to make a place for me to dwell. So when it says in Exodus 40 that God was finally filling up the temple and the presence was so thick that Moses couldn't even stay in there is because of one thing. Not because God finally decided to do it, but because they have followed every step, every design to, to, the, to the, the, the very specific color of stone because God said, this is what I want, this is how I want it to look, and if you would do this, I will dwell among you. Yet so many times in church, we pick houses of worship based off of our preferences, based off of our opinions. We try to bring our taste to it, not understanding that when a pastor has been given the vision to build a house, it's not constructing the house based off of what you want. It is a design that God said, here you go, make it this way. This is where the people are at. 
It wasn't going to be through golden calves. It wasn't going to be through any. It was, you build it this way and I'll fill it. So that's what they did. Once he was done, it filled it up. So this tabernacle has been built in a very specific fashion. And I have to look at this thing and, and say, if we're given all the details for 40 chapters of what all this was, it's got to mean something for us because the word is true, the word is life. So if it's in there, what does it mean for me? So the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the design. Tonight, I want to start off by looking at two specific scriptures. Exodus 26, is this okay so far? Exodus 26, 33. Hang the inner curtain from clasps and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Exodus 27, 9. Then make the courtyard for the tabernacle. Enclosed with curtains made of finely woven linen. And on the south side, make the curtains 150 feet long. One really cool little fact about the makings of the curtains and all these things, if you want to read it, the Bible says that they were all fashioned together by the same uh, clasp and things because it says it wanted the curtains to be one continuous thing. It was a picture of a building of unity. Everything was unified by a common thread, by a common thing. But in this two scriptures, we see three specific places. Throw it up there. I, I think I, I put a little slide up to talk about the three different places. We have a courtyard, a holy place, and a most holy place. In some versions, you will hear it like this. There's the outer court, there's the holy place, and the holy of holies. Three different places in the tabernacle. I want you to imagine, if you would, I wish I would have come up with some sort of illustration, but I want you to imagine that this stage was a tabernacle. You would come into the courtyard, and once you're in the courtyard, there is a second compartment called the holy place. And then from this holy place, there was another place called the most holy place. The most holy place is where the presence of God was sit. This is where the only one, the high priest, could come in here and have his business with God. Well, before you got to the most holy place, you had the holy place. This is where all the priests could get to. All the priests could do all of their, all of their ceremonial rituals, sacrificing the lambs, burning the incense, coming to the altar. This is where all that stuff happened. Is this interesting? Then you had the courtyard. This is where everybody else could get. We're going to get into it next week, but there's a reason why the Bible says enter his courts with praise. They, the people got in the courtyard, all the Jews in Exodus, all the people were in the courtyard. They could not get even into the holy place. The closest they could ever get to the presence, which was way out over here, was they could only get to the courtyard. And they would come with repentance and talking about what they need to give to God. And the priest took all this stuff, kind of like the Catholic religion does. They would take all this stuff and say, okay, we're going to bring it to God. And then the high priest would take all the rituals that was done and walk into the presence of God. Am I painting a clear picture for you? There were three different places in this tabernacle, okay? But in order even to get into the courtyard, you had to do what? Enter in. 
Before you could get to the courtyard, someone said it, before you could get to the holy place, before you, oh, before you could get to the, my knees giving out, the most holy place, before you could even get in the courtyard, you had to enter through a gate. Exodus 40, verse 8, then set up the courtyard around the outside of the tent and hang the curtain for the courtyard entrance. Everyone shout one way. There were not multiple entrances to make it convenient for all the 12 tribes. There was only one way. It didn't matter if you lived on the east, the west, the south, or the north. That was a weird way to say north, south, east, and west. It don't matter where you lived. It didn't matter what position you were in. There was one way. It didn't matter how simple you were. It didn't matter how godly you were. It didn't matter if you were a priest. It didn't matter if you were a common beggar. There was only one way, one entrance to this place, to the place that had one purpose. It wasn't just so that people could come in this entrance, in this gate, in this way. There was a purpose that these people knew that the only way they could have a successful productive, fruitful life as if they could somehow get into that most holy place through the priests. They had to enter in a gate, a one-way entrance to get into that courtyard. There was only one way, there was only, there was only one entrance, and they knew that they needed what was on the other side of the entrance. It started with an entrance. It started with a gateway of curtains to get in the courtyard, to get into that tabernacle of dwelling. And Jesus in John chapter 10 verse 9 says this, Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and freely go and will find good pastures. Jesus says there is one way to get to the most holy place. What is the most holy place? It is the indwelling presence of God. He says, it is not by your own merit. It is not by your works. It's not by how much you pray. It's not by how many Christian songs you sing. It's not by how much money you give. It's not by how many times you put Jesus on Facebook. He says, the only way to get there is you come through me. I am the gate. I am the entrance to the tabernacle. I am the entrance to the temple that will hold the Holy Spirit. And, he's, and then in 1 Corinthians 6.19, it says this. Don't you realize that your body is the temple? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. In other words, Jesus says, there is a temple, there is a tabernacle. And in this temple, in this tabernacle, there is a place that houses the presence of God. And he says, this is all right. He says, if you go through me, I'll take you further than the courtyard. I'll take you further than having to go through a priest, to go through a man. I'm going to make you the temple so that you go from entrance 
to the indwelling. (laughs) He says, I want to make you the thing that holds the presence of God. Because before he became a gate, we were not good enough for the Holy Spirit to be in us. The gate, the entrance, Jesus leads to us becoming a place worthy for Holy Spirit to dwell. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Amen? Now we say amen and we're shouting. But the question I have is that why is it that so many churches and so many Christians and so many believers, why is it that we have built a religion and built a belief system where we stop at the gate? What you mean? Jesus, I want to make you Lord over my life. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. And we'll go do our stuff and come back here. Jesus, forgive me. And we'll we'll live our lifestyles. And nothing about our lifestyle looks like a holy tabernacle that holds the presence of God. Because what we've done is we've made our entire experience as a believer based on stopping at the entrance. When Jesus says, I am the gate, I am the door, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am making myself the way for you to get in here. I want more for you. I don't want you to stop at me. I have come so that I could give you access to the Father. I have come so that your your life could hold the Holy Spirit. I want you to be able to hold the Holy Spirit so you can do all the things that you have been fixing your eyes on. What do you mean the things we've been fixing our eyes on, Kyle? We fix our eyes on that Jesus healed the sick. That he cast out demons. That thousands were saved. That people were loosed from their chains. We've seen all this crazy stuff like dead men rising. But we have stopped at the gate and said, let's just worship the fact that Jesus died on the cross. Can I just be honest with you? There's nothing special about the cross. Millions of people died on crosses. What was significant wasn't the way he was killed. It was what happened after they tried to kill him. He said, you can kill me with a cross, you can kill me with a gun, you can kill me with a knife. I am raising from the dead, and I am bringing my people with me. They are no longer in their dead places. They are coming alive in me. I am the gate, and I'm making you a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is good. Good stuff tonight. We stop at Jesus when the gate opens to so much more. In Hebrews, in the New Testament, it even talks about the tabernacle of Moses. Look at Hebrews 9, 1 through 3. The first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There was two rooms in that tabernacle. And it's what two rooms were we talking about? The most holy place and the holy place. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room was a lampstand, a table, sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. And then there was a curtain. 
And behind that curtain was a second room called the most holy place. Skipping down a few verses to verse 6. When these things, when these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room to perform their religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered into the most holy place and only once a year. He always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely opened as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. It says, as long as we had to rely on the system of walking through the gate, coming in the courtyard, letting the priest come to the holy place, and letting the the high priest come into the most holy place once, as long as we relied on that system, this place would never be freely opened. And Jesus says, I am the gate, and if you come through me, you can freely go in and out. Don't you love it how nothing in the Bible stands by itself? Everything is fulfilled. It is finished meant so much more than just I conquered death. It was, I took care of a system, and I'm giving you life. The people of God could not access that. That's why in verse 11 it says this, so Christ has now become the high priest. Why does it say he's become the high priest? Because only the high priest could get to what? The presence of God. He says he's become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. So Jesus says, let me be the door. You can enter through me instead of religion, instead of a system, so that you can get to the place where you can allow the presence of God to be with you every step of the way. And since you are the temple, you hold the presence of God. Can I just drop a reality check on you? We have developed a thinking, let me get to church so that I can get in the presence. But the reason the scripture says when two or, when two or more of you gather on there, it's not that you're getting in the presence. The presence is already in you. And something happens when all of us who house the presence get together. The presence of God is no longer an external thing of, oh, I got to get to Florida because I got to get in the presence. Let me get to that church because I got to get in the presence. You ain't got to get in the presence. The presence is inside of you. You've got to start letting that thing out. Jesus says, I am the gate so that you could be the whole flipping temple. And the gate to this tabernacle is even described. Y'all want to hear about it? I'm having fun. Look at Exodus chapter 38. <clears throat> the east end, the front, was also 75 feet long. The courtyard entrance was on the east end, flanked by two curtains. The curtain on the right side was 22 and a half feet long and was supported by three posts and three bases. The curtain on the left was also 22 and a half feet long and was supported by three posts set in three bases. All the curtains used in the courtyards were made of finely woven linen. Each post had a bronze base. All the hooks and rings were silver. 
The tops of the posts of the courtyard were overlaid with silver, <coughs> and the rings to hold up the curtains were made of silver, a lot of silver. He made the curtain for the entrance <coughs> to the courtyard of finely woven linen, and he decorated it with beautiful embroidery in blue, purple, and scarlet thread. It was 30 feet long, and it was seven and a half feet high, just like the curtains of the courtyard walls. Kyle, why the heck did you read that? Well, there are four things that I want to point out about this entrance. These aren't going to be on the screen, so if you want to take notes, pay attention. The first thing, it describes the entrance as beautiful with three different colors of thread. Remember what they were? Blue, purple, scarlet. In ancient times, we would like to think that blue represents water, but it actually didn't represent water. Blue represented a few things, but specifically it represented loyalty and nobility. It was a color that was pure. Jesus was the gate. The gate was blue, purple, scarlet. Blue meaning loyal and noble. Jesus was the pure sacrificial lamb that we needed. It was purple. Another thing about blue, blue represented sky without clouds. In other words, when blue was used, it was significance of from heaven. The color purple, y'all probably know what purple meant, royalty, that he is the son of God with all the authority. Then there was the color scarlet. What do y'all think that represented? Blood. It, his blood was, was bought. It, it bought our right to enter in. The entrance and the gate of the tabernacle in Exodus pointed to the perfect gate that Jesus says, I am. It was significant. The second thing about this gate, which is cool, is that there was actually three entrances inside of this whole temple. <coughs> it says there was the gate to get in the courtyard. If you read through the book, it says there's a door to get to the holy place. And then it says there's a veil to get to the most holy place. He tore the veil. He made a way. He, 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 he tore all that system down to get into this place where we could house the presence. But you know what's interesting about the, the entrance of the gate and the door and the veil? They were all three made with the same exact colors of, of yarn, of, of thread, blue, purple, and scarlet. It was all the same thing separating each thing. And Jesus says, I am the thing that, that put the system in place, and I'm going to make a way so that you could enter in through every single door. The third thing. It says that the entrance to this gate, where everyone had to enter in, and it was a lot of people, you would think they would make the flipping tabernacle big enough for everyone to get through easily. But the entrance, if you reread the text, was only 30 feet long and about seven and a half feet high. Why is it that this gate was so small? Look at Matthew 7, 13. You can enter into God's kingdom only through what? A narrow, a narrow gate. 
The highway to hell is broad. Can I tell y'all a quick story? Totally separate from my sermon. The first car wreck I ever got into, I was listening to ACDC Highway to Hell and got broadsided. I was 16 years old, 17 years old. Anyways, the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who chose that way, verse 14. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and a few only ever find it. There was a significance as to why this tabernacle gate was so small. It is not something that you can just happen along. It is not something that you can just fall into. It is a narrow gate. It is a narrow scope. It is a specific way. And yet there are so many times in our lives where we ask things like, why can't I feel the presence of God in my life? Why can't I experience this? Why can't I experience that? And Jesus says, I'm the gate. You come through me, you get the presence because you're now a temple. But in order to truly come through the gate, not just stand at it, you have got to live a life worthy of gaining you entrance into something very narrow. There is a reason why God gives us commands. Salvation and grace did not alleviate the commands. It alleviated the penalty for not following the commands. You no longer go to hell if you sin and you are under the grace of God. But the system to see the presence of God in your life still remains. You enter in through a narrow lifestyle, a narrow gate, and the more you live according to the fixing of our eyes on who Jesus is, the more you will experience this thing in the most holy place that is deep down inside of you. We've all heard the terms of, is there a second baptism of the Holy Spirit? Do you get rebaptized? I, can I just tell you what I believe? And I believe the scripture, I believe you can get baptized the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and twentieth time. Because it's not something that you're waiting to happen. It is something where you say, I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, so I am going to go deeper. I'm going to go deeper. I'm going to live my life deeper. And eventually, I'm going to experience more of his power and more of his presence. I am going to go and I'm going to immerse myself baptize myself in the presence that is already inside of me. Well, Kyle, I haven't experienced tongues. I haven't experienced healings. It's because you are not going through the narrow gate. You're standing and looking at it. You can't just stand and look and expect everything to happen. You can't just say, I love Jesus and expect for all the miracles to just drop. Do they happen? Absolutely. Because God's gracious and he does what he wants. And he can do whatever he wants to and pleases. But I don't want to live my life waiting for God to simply say here. If God says, here's the system, here's how it works, I want to start working it. 
And he says, I want my kingdom come and my will be done on this earth as is in heaven. I've given you a picture of heaven through a tabernacle. I sent my son. He became the gate. He became the door. He became the veil. He wiped it all away so that you could be the entire temple. I want to start letting the thing inside of me start to flow out through everything I do. I want to start speaking and people fall out in the spirit. I want to drink my coffee in a holy way. I want to curse people in a holy way. <laughs> I want everything about me to look like a temple that he paid the price for me to become. And the only way that can happen, that gateway is very narrow. It's difficult to find. And it's so difficult that he says, I'm going to give you a very specific how-to manual. Don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. It's not just the don'ts, it's the do's. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can I, can I, if you've got offense with people, don't ask me why you haven't experienced the presence of God. Because you go deeper into the temple that you are when you allow yourself to walk in the ways that he says not many people do. Can I just say something? I'm okay if this church never gets to thousands. I'd, it'd be cool. I'm not speaking against it. But whether it be a thousand or one hundred, my heart is not to grow numbers. My heart is to grow you in such a way where when I look at you, I, I got to turn my eyes away because you're shining so bright. That's the vision of relentless, to see people come alive in Christ. Christ means anointing. What has he anointed you with? He has anointed you with the right to, if you would enter through a narrow gate with a narrow lifestyle, you will become the indwelling so that God can rest in your soul, rest in your mind, rest in your temple. The very last thing I want to talk to you about, notice in verse 14, is this okay tonight, y'all? This is good. It says, the courtyard entrance was on the east end, flanked by two curtains. The curtain on the right side was 22 and a half feet long, supported by three bows set in three bases. Now, we can talk about the posts and the bases, but I want to focus on that. It was on the east. Why is it that we're given the location of the gate? It says the entrance wall was on the east. The gate was on the east. There's a prophet in the Old Testament that we talk so much about money, but he serves a much greater purpose than just money. If you know the prophet's name, shout his name out real quick. It's okay. Malachi. Malachi. In Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, he says something very interesting. The Lord of heaven's army says, The day of judgment's coming, and it's burning like a furnace. And on that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like a straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, 
the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. You will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out the pasture. On that day when I add, you will tread upon the wicked as if you were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and all the regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for Israel. Now, can you throw up verse 2? The son of righteousness will rise. Now, we know that's Jesus. Amen? It's interesting that son is not spelled S-O-N in this passage. It's spelled S-U-N. Where does the sun rise? Where was the entrance to the gate? East. The entrance was in the position to where we would always look to the rising of the sun. It was positioned east because it was a picture. I believe that God did not design anything by accident. There's a reason that the sun that gives us warmth and life in the physical rises in the east. And there's a reason the gate that Jesus is called is, is parallel to being that same sun. Because the physical sun gives us life and so much more the son of God gives us life. So every time we get in a place in our life... <clears throat> Where we feel like, I, I don't feel like I have the presence of God around me. I don't, I don't feel like my house is under the presence. I don't feel like I'm walking into my, my purpose. I don't feel like God's doing it. You know what he says? Look to the east. Because there's still only one way to get to the place where God dwells. That one place is still the gate. You still have to go through a gate. And Jesus says, I am that gate. And Malachi prophesies, the son of righteousness will rise. No matter how tough it gets, no matter how crazy your life seems, no matter how far gone you've, you've been. God says, here's, here's the system. Here it is. He says, look to the son. The sun is rising. It's so interesting if you look through the Bible <clears throat> about the east. Genesis 2.8 even says the Lord God planted, if you throw it up there, a garden in Eden. Where? In the east. What was significant? That's where he placed the man that he had made. And man, before the fall of sin, was in his most fruitful place. Man is best operating not in the north, not in the south, not in the west, but man is best operating where? In the east. And Malachi prophesies, look to the east, look to the sun, look to the sun rising in the east. And Moses places the entrance, and again, the reason it filled up was because Moses listened to exactly what God wanted. So it wasn't Moses saying, Oh, the east is pretty. Let's build a gate. It was God saying, I want the entrance at the east for a reason, and you're not going to even know what it is in the fullness of time. Because my son is coming, and he's the gate. He's to the east. I put man in the east. 
In other words, the best place of dwelling is if we would continue to look to the Son. Not just to look to Him for comfort, but to look through Him because when we look to Him, we see entrance to seeing the total presence of God filling up our house, filling up our friendships, filling up our relationships, filling up our finances, filling up everything. He says, I am what you are to look for and what I am is an entrance to more. Even when he was born in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says that when Jesus was born in the days of Herod the king, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem where he was. We, why? Because they said, we saw a star in the east. Even when he came, he came with the direction of looking toward the east. He says always, and when he's coming, he, there's a prophet. There's a prophecy that he's coming. He's coming, and, and it was the east, and, and, and there's a prophecy in the fullness of time. Look to the east. The sun is rising. Look to the sun. He is the door, and walk through the door. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth. We are the temple. It all starts with an entrance. Not just looking at it, but walking through it. I'm going to close with this passage if you want to stand. The scripture talks about the importance of prophets. Peter wrote about it, talked about it. In 2 Peter verse chapter 1, Starting in verse 16, he says, We were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joys. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the who? The prophets. What did Malachi proclaim? The son, S-U-N, of righteousness, pointing to Jesus, coming, rising, the east gate. Because of that experience, we have greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote because their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. How many of you know that Savannah is a dark place? Some of our homes can be dark places. Some of our relationships can be dark places. The way you manage your life can be dark. Until the day dawns and Christ the morning star, morning star, star rising in the morning, the sun rising in the East shines in your heart. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. Those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. In other words, simply this. Even though it may seem like you are in a state of spiritual darkness, remember it's as simply as looking to the east, looking to the gate, and walking through that narrow place. Because that gate, that door, that son of God said, I have died so that you could be the place where God dwells 
And if we hold his dwelling, just as all these people were camped around the tabernacle, we should be able to walk through our families and our workplaces and everywhere else. And people say, wow, I can see a cloud. I can see fire. I see the presence of the Lord. And it's not at a building at 8511 Waters. It's in the people that are inside of it. It's in the people that are outside of it. It's in the people, not the place. Because Jesus, the east, the gate, made a way. Kyle, what's my purpose? Look to the east. Okay, I'm looking to the east. I'm looking at Jesus. Jesus, what's my purpose? Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach the commands of God. Cast out demons. Heal the sick. Do all things by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's your purpose. Amen. If you've got something from this word, can you give God some praise tonight? Thank you, Jesus.